Hey, so how's it, everybody? Welcome back to Freedom Fanatics. My name is Alex, and today I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Sholem Boyson, all the way from Cape Town. This is Freedom Fanatics, brought to you by the Freedom Advocacy Network. Remember, guys, you can catch us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, as well as uh, YouTube as well. All right, guys, so today, we, we for the past few weeks, and I think maybe because Sholem's been been on away for the last couple of weeks, you know, we've been delving into some, some uh, good news stories. Um, you know, we've looked at some some success stories across the country, but today we we kind of we're going to drive home the the reality for many uh, many young people, unfortunately, in South Africa when it comes to the state of education and what it means uh, to go to school um, in many many parts of the country. So uh, this, these two stories are, are, are come out of the last two weeks, uh, so they're pretty fresh. And the first one we're going to chat about uh, comes out of Limpopo. It's about from an area a few an hour or so north of Giani, uh, near Toyandu. Um, and this is in, in the, the, the town of Malamulele. Uh, and there, a school was burnt, uh, laptops and stations as well as other infrastructure was destroyed uh, by thieves who also left with feeding scheme food parcels. Um, now we've looked at some pretty pretty horrendous stories uh, on Freedom Fanatics in terms of infrastructure, uh, destruction and the like. But uh, Sholin, this one, you're saying off air that it made you angry. Um, and I yeah. think that's very fair. Yes, no, definitely. Like this one is, uh, this story is extremely heartbreaking, um, especially because it reminds me of, um, the you know usually um protests um social like service delivery protests they tend to turn violent and what ends up happening is people you know start destroying um infrastructure like in our own communities and i think that's a very self-destructive behavior because it's self-defeating in the end of the day because i know we are always here trying to keep government accountable but I also think it's important for us to also take up some personal responsibility because in the story, it's community members um, and they might be in the minority, you know, a few criminal bandits deciding, you know, to actually destroy the facilities that are actually meant to uplift the community an educational facility of all things. And, you know, I believe that education is by far the most powerful weapon we have um, in, in this world. And therefore, I think that it should be utilized because it's actually a poverty reliever. When people are educated, people are definitely under the right circumstances going to be able to uplift their financial and their living conditions. And when community members are destroying um, the facilities that future generations in this community is meant to use, it is self-destructive. And mm -hmm. I mean, you are eating, you're eating yourself with the own back and asking yourself, why is the government doing this to me? And I mean, this government has a lot of failures. We don't need to be destroying ourselves um, mm -hmm. even more than um, uh, things are already difficult as they are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think one of the scariest things for me is how South Africans, we have a culture of um, burning. Uh, burning is yeah. a very vivid, it's a very destructive thing um to to do but i think maybe there's an element here where you know we look at things like unemployment um you know a lot of i think especially young men being unemployed i think is particularly dangerous for society um where yeah. people feel undervalued where they feel like they don't have any sort of stake in the game and i think i suspect maybe that's at play here we we don't know 
the the sort of the backstory police are investigating um but you know is this kind of thing you know we live in a society where you know 75 percent of young people are unemployed mm. prospects are pretty grim uh when you consider that you know only 40 percent of kids who start grade one in the latest mm. trends in the last five six years at least aren't passing matric um so is this maybe just the the more general sort of uh, disillusionment with with um, people's prospects and how people are reacting to kind of the state not really working for them. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Alex, because as you also mentioned that, you know, this crime, because it's criminal activity, it's yeah. merely a symptom of the underlying problems in our society because people struggle to, you know, be able to, engage in the economic um, system in an honorable manner because things are so difficult. And it is quite a danger um, when we see in countries like Mozambique in Nigeria, when you have these large populations of young men who are, you know, unskilled, um, unemployed and in impoverished circumstances, what tends to happen is that because they are like, you know what, we have nothing better to do. Um, the government's not coming to save us. They've only made um, the economic mm. circumstances worse. The education that we gain is not enough to actually, you know, be productive in the workplace. What it, that disillusionment, that frustration reflects itself in these violent um in these violent actions. And I mean, in those countries, it's way worse because like in Mozambique, you have the situation where there's like, they tend towards terrorist groups in South Africa. Mm. Service delivery protests are, you know, the name of the game, unfortunately, when it comes to, um, you know, displaying the um, dissatisfaction with, mm. uh, with the state or anything in our society. And yes, I completely understand your point. And it speaks to, um, a bigger, a larger problem that, you know, we do actually need a reformation when it comes to our um, education system with the way things are being done, because clearly it's pushing so many people out of the system and leaving people stranded, you know, in, in, the, in the wasteland, un unfortunately. Let, 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 let's stick to, to the idea of service delivery protests and people, you know, venting their frustration, their anger um, through service delivery protests, because we, we, we've dealt with some data that indicates that because uh, we speak a lot about getting people yeah. to vote, making sure people head to the ballot boxes, um, and the low turnout in elections uh, is is a bit of a reflection of the fact that people are uh, politically motivated through uh, protest. Um, now, interestingly, our next story, which comes out of the Eastern Cape, um, in a in a town called uh, Manduli, um comes. As a result, the, the, the news broke because uh, community members brought the town to a standstill over protests um, over a school not being rebuilt. So, this, I mean, that is this is uh, the, the the school in in question. Um, you know, the school is overcrowded. Uh, this is Pangindlela uh, Junior School, uh, Junior Secondary, rather. Um, and they've had a row since 2016 of wanting uh, classrooms to be rebuilt. Now, these um, the school has over 90 learners per class, sure. um, and you know, in, in one class they've got a, over 120 kids in one class. Now that the the maximum size for a class uh, is 40, uh, and so 
that's meant that these um, teachers have had to resort to, you know, literally teaching under trees, um, which is at our big age in 2022 is actually unbelievable. Um, and one of the reasons that uh, the, the, the parents and, and the staff reckon that the school wasn't rebuilt, you can see the, the roof uh, caving in, uh, I mean, not to mention it being a complete safety hazard for children, um, completely an unco in unconducive uh, learning environment, uh, was that the one school was supposedly meant to be renamed um, after Bantu Holomisa, uh, the UDM leader. And so there's suspicion that the, the government is stunting that, that redevelopment because of political reasons. Um, so I guess, Sholin, you know, why should, why should anyone trust um, the government? You know, if you can, how do yeah. you resort to anything but protests? Um, you know, when, when you've got literally the roof of your school almost falling on your, on your child's head, if they have a roof over their head at all when they're trying to yeah. learn. Sure, no, for sure, Alex. I mean, and this was these um, public schools, like these examples that you just showed us, it's been left behind by the ANC government um, a long time ago because they are, you know, more politically motivated in trying to actually educate um, South Africans. And I mean, these in the article, it even speaks about how these circumstances that has led to like a greater loss um, in metric um, pass results. And what it actually caused is, is that, you know, many young people, many potential teachers even see stories like these and the immediate response is that they don't want, they don't want to leave this country. They want to get, use their skills to teach in overseas, yeah. you know, they are, they are directed to more private institutions that are better functioning, you know, that um, actually have proper um, facilities in place and people and teachers, especially, I mean, because the overcrowdedness speaks to two things. It shows that firstly, there is a population that wants to be educated so much so that there is too many kids for these people to um, facilitate. And then the overcrowdedness actually shows that there's a lack of um, teachers or professionals who are actually able to educate those yeah. children who want to be taught. And what we actually see is that this is not the only place where we have a shortage of, um, you know, um, educators or professionals to do this task because just um i was just on twitter before this and i saw that um our health minister even admitted to saying that in parliament that we have a shortage of doctors we have a shortage of police officers as well there's not supposed enough security personnel in this country and what happens is we actually have this brain drain of professionals who want to leave the country because the state has not um you know been taking care of our facilities and being able to keep our intellectuals, our um, professionals in the country. And I mean, that's the whole point of the education system is we need to train up young um, professionals so that they can in return benefit society, the very society that they come from. But when things are hostile for businesses, for so many companies, the immediate response is we need to go where things are much better. Mm. And I mean, when the state, like the ANC, doesn't want to really give attention to the school because of personal grievances they have with Bantu Olamisa and the UDM. I mean, like, bro, these bigger <laughs> challenges this country is facing than, you know, your issues you have with another politician. Hmm. And, I mean, we see that across the board, actually, when it comes to party politics. And 
it just causes people to be disillusioned. People don't want to engage in that. They're like, nah, you guys are too do busy with infighting. Um, and we are not being heard. And it literally causes this, even this community to cause a complete shutdown of the town because they are demanding answers and demanding responses. Absolutely. So, I mean, you touched on earlier a little bit about reformation and, and you know, really yeah. revamping the school system in South Africa. And we've spoken a lot about uh, school vouchers as an alternative yes. to uh, to distribute um, the education budget a little bit more uh, effectively. Um, but the, the one one thing that I came across when I was re- when I was just reading up a little bit about uh, school vouchers um, is the fact that um, one aspect that that could help in in creating uh, better schools in the country is to celebrate the schools that do work. Yes. Um, you know, you, you have examples of schools in 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 in, uh, in you know in poor neighborhoods. Uh, where schools work and schools function. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think maybe that's also a really important part of making people feel like the system works for them. Because, And the reason I bring this up is because, as I mentioned, we advocate for people to make their voices heard um, at the ballot box. Um, and I think the important thing is because we need the government to be held accountable. We need an accountable state. We need a capable state. Um, yeah. And I think through voting, that's where people show their uh, markers of appreciation or um, how well the government is doing for them. Um, And because when the institutions fail, that's when you get this whole system of people um, not being educated um, or even those who do get through the system go to university and then a medical student gets to comserve and they can't get placed. And so they have to look for other options. So, Sholem, for you, what is we like? We talk about remedies, reformation. From what, what, what for you? What if you had to step into Angie Mucheka's shoes for a day, and you could make a decision? What would what 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 would be one thing that you would look to to help alleviate children sitting un, literally sitting under trees uh, to mm. learn? Yeah, definitely. One thing I would do if I had to be the education minister, well, the basic mini education minister, um, definitely is the policy that we just spoke about, which is the um, school voucher policy that's actually proposed by the um, Institute of Race Relations. Because what that does is it automatically breaks down this over, um, over hyped and over reliance on this bureaucratic system that, you know, is really um, so structured and rigid that really does causes our um, education system not to flourish. Mm-hmm. Because what this um, school voucher policy would do is instead put money directly into the hands of community members, of parents, to actually fund the schools that they choose, the schools that they feel um, are worthy and deserving of um, their, um, you know, of the of the kids and of the funds that they have been provided with through this voucher. And then under these schools, like um, the schools we just spoke about, you know, they will have to, um, they will have, they will be given resources directly from the parents if the parents truly believe in their cause. You know, money won't just be willy-nilly be lost from the top mm. when the treasury and the government say, okay, we've allocated this 400 billion to education. That money won't just be lost through this entire structure of bureaucrats but it'll actually be given directly to um 
our community members and to parents. And that would go such a long way. I mean, there's a lot of things that still need to be fixed, but that would go a long way um, to solving some of the problems we have. And another issue, Alex, and one we've also spoken about in um, is the, especially the transformation of the curriculum that we have in South Africa, um, mm. because we are really outdated with regards to some of the subjects that we're still being taught and the options that we are given to um, to choose from. I mean, some of the top countries in the world, whether it's South Korea or China or um, Japan, these people have already decided, you know what, we are going on a future um, looking um, education system that has a curriculum that focuses on things like coding and robotics and IT and computers and machinery. These are things that these people are focused on. And one of the subjects I really dislike, I don't know your opinion on it, but it's LO. I'm like, this thing is so useless. Um, it has zero benefit for, um, you know, the future of this country when we should be attempting to digitize um, the minds of our population that we have in this country. School children should be thinking about the future of the Internet of Things, about artificial intelligence. These are things that we also, like, I mean, our government is always talking big about, like, you know, the fourth industrial revolution and so forth. But I'm like, mm. guys, there are practical things that we need to get in place if we actually want a, a country that is ready for the future, an industrialized mm. country that's ready for the future. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, the, the one thing I think is obviously the problem with, with such a stunted education uh, system is that yeah. uh, we just get left behind. Because if we look yes. at today, there's something called the Tim's Report, which sort of assesses mm. uh, the... Um, extent of or the the aptitude rather of students for in maths and science and South Africa yeah. in the latest numbers that I saw in, in 2020 um, we were ranked out of 48 countries we were ranked 47 so when children are like 10 <laughs> in grade four um, you know they don't have that comprehension of maths um, that is required mm. for something like coding so you know mm. we, we it, when I think you know we hype up the idea of a crisis an emergency um, but the, the fact is, you know, if we have this, this, this crisis in education, um, it really just does stunt it um, into the future. But I think, you know, I think the important thing to remember in terms of the school vouchers is that it, it, it introduces competition. So yes. when you have a school that's not being rebuilt because of some political squabble, the parents yes. themselves have the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to send my, my, my child to a school, uh, a private school. If if yeah. if they wanted to uh, a low fee paying private school uh, to get the education that they want for their kids, so I think so. Let's leave it there. I think there's a lot of food for thought there. Uh, you know, we could go on for hours talking about um, how to how to fix education in South Africa. But before we before we go, is any last thoughts before we jump into burning questions with Mbali? Yeah, my last thought would definitely be that you know we've we've seen the issues and we've highlighted the struggles in this in this country and with specifically with regards to our education system, and you know what, burning down buildings and building down infrastructure is not enough. Um, I, that's why we always encourage people. You know, if you are going to complain, if you're going to be upset, if you're going to be frustrated, which you have a right to do, make sure that you do it in a productive way and of the most productive way in a democratic South Africa is through voting. And something that we all have the ability to do and the freedom and right to practice. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, guys. Couldn't have said it better myself. 
On that note, guys, remember to follow us at Badger of Liberty on your favorite social media platform, be it TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And on that note, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Stay tuned uh, for burning questions coming up now with Mbali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hashtag Burning Questions. Hi, Alex. Hi, Sholin. Hey, Mbali. I'm so used to saying hi, Diego. So I almost said hi, Diego. Diego, bless you. He's recovering from a, a, a week of traditional healing. So we wish him, we wish him well. Yeah. <laughs> All righty, guys. Let's get right into the code card of um, the week. And this code card comes from... Um, Tony Leon and the code card. Let me just make sure that it shows properly. There we go. And this code card reads The rule of law is on life support. The state shuts out diverse opinions, and the ANC wants to reap up property rights. This is simple, straightforward. Alex, what do you think of this code card? Yeah, I think uh, I think he's definitely on the money. I think to to dive into each of those those aspects is a, an episode each in itself. Yeah. Um, and I remember, I remember, Mali, you actually spoke to Tony Leon last year. Yes, um, yes, I did. And, and he was he was very much advocating for people to to get involved and to hold the government mm-hmm. to account. Um, yeah, but I think the 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 aspect of I've, of the rule of law um, is something that that is immensely important um, in in a, in a democracy um, of a foundation, um, and when that is undermined, uh, you know things things begin begin to to crumble. And that is mm-hmm. you know thinking more in terms of uh, the institutions that are the gatekeepers. Uh, so you yeah. know when you look at our courts, um, you know the prosecuting national prosecuting authority, those kind of things. Um, and those aren't necessarily within our control as voters, um, but uh, to ensure that they remain uncaptured, I suppose. But I think um, it's definitely something to to keep an eye on by just applying public pressure. So stay, keeping mm. on your toes, because um, mm. without that, I think everything else is at risk of crumbling. Of crumbling, of crumbling definitely. All right, um, let us get to the first comment. Um, it is quite lengthy, but um, let's get into it. So um, this comment comes from um, Herat, and it reads, "Nonsense! We've had such we've we've ha- we've never had such freedom of speech in our his- in our history as we have now. The rule of law has carried us thus far through the turbulent times." The land issue needs to be resolved. And Mr. Leon, you having studied indigenous law, know that the prescription of crimes does not apply to African law. Uh, 
We need to change our Eurocentric, westernized ideas of democracy to incorporate the ideas and thinking of Africans. The TRC and constitution pro projects provided good cover for us privileged white people to escape retribution. With the greatest respect to your polished English, we need to reset that the, that encompasses thinking of all and only the few that sat around the Codessa tables. Whew, that is a mouthful. Um, Sholin, I'll give this one to you. <laughs> your thoughts? Oh, that, that was a lot. I don't even know where to start. Um, shout out <laughs> on that comment. <laughs> but um, I definitely think that it's, it's a very wrong thing to... Um, to misread what I think Tony Leon was saying, um, because he's like saying things mm. like this, all of this is, is nonsense, where I feel like um, Tony Leon was is essentially warning us of the risk yeah. in, and the mm. dangers through which we are going. Um, you know mm. what, he's, he's trying to say that, you know, the rule of law in this country is at risk. I think mm -hmm. there's no doubt in, we can see that as clear as day. You don't need any westernized mm. mind to tell you that, that the rule of law in this country is under threat. When a former president um, refuses to show up to court because he's such a big boss in Jacob Zuma, when nobody's being held accountable for things like state capture, when riots, mm. you know, engulf an entire a major province, which is Natal in this country, and nobody's held responsibility, responsible. Yeah. We can clearly see that the rule of law is under threat, and especially with the part of the state, you know, um, setting out um, diverse opinions, which um, Mr. Gerard says, you know, freedom of speech is not um, under, under attack in, in any form. The truth is the state really does, the ANC government more specifically, the regime that's in place, they really are not interested in listening to any diverse voices because they have, you know, they've, they, they've set, they've had, they have the socialist um, national democratic revolution goals and they are not moving away from it, even though it's definitely um, hurting this country um, badly and in a very, very harsh um, position it's placing this country. And mm -hmm. the, in those aspects, I definitely um, agree with him um with tony leon in this regard yeah yeah and i don't think we should just dismiss somebody um as having eurocentric westernized westernized <laughs> ideas of um democracy um because i because i definitely think that Gerard speaking on things like white privilege those are very social uh, socialist um and you know left-wing ideas that he is speaking of and you must not forget that those socialist and you know, Marxist ideas of West, um, white privilege and Westerners ideas, those also come from the West. They also come from the likes of Karl Marx, um, who's also a white a man who lived in, in, in Europe. So it's quite ironic that he's criticizing Western ideas, yet he's the mm. same person who's propagating them in this very statement. It's yeah, quite true. But before we get, we get to Alex, um, don't you think maybe some part of his comment he's kind of right um and uh this, this this the part that i'm talking about um he says here the rule of law has carried us thus far through very turbulent times don't you think maybe there there's a bit of truth am i wrong no, but, you know yeah no that's exactly i i agree with that that you know what um i'm not saying that the rule of law has not carried us through turbulent times because i mean mm -hmm. it's the reason why south africa is still functioning after yeah. so many years of ANC rule. <laughs> um, but what I would caution against is that it is nonetheless under attack. 
because mm. it remains such a firm foundation on which our country stands. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it's one of the pillars that keep this country functioning, nonetheless, uh, uh, just a system that, you know, um, is that that propounds the that proposes that the rule of law should be upheld, um, regardless of which person is president or which government is in control. Um, so, mm. yes, it definitely has. And it will continue to carry us through turbulent times, which I foresee yeah. is yet to come. Um, if, if, it, if the past, um, past years of democracy has not enough to be um, concerned about, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, Alex, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think just to emphasize the, the point about protecting the rule of law, um, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's the thing, that's, that's what we've really, really got to do. Um, and, you know, we've never had such freedom of speech in our history as we have now. That's totally true, and which is why it's something that we must uh, protect against. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we must use it to continue uh, to ensure that the rule of law is, is maintained. Um, mm-hmm. So there is, there is some merit there uh, in what, what uh, Gerard's saying, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But as as Shonen says, I don't think we must throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you have, um, you know, some racialized ideas on who should, whose ideas we should look at and whose we shouldn't, yeah. um, mm-hmm. just because of based on the, the the you know the amount of melatonin in the skin of the person who's making the statement. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the um, second and the last comment for the day. And this comment comes from Sianda, and it's a it's a simple statement. He says, "Majority blacks don't own any property." Um, Alex, yeah. who <laughs> actually owns um, the land in Essex? Who owns the land? Um, <laughs> who does the land belong to? That's the follow-up question. Oh, well, our comrades. Um, so I think he's, to, to a large degree, he's right. And I think because a lot of people, um, uh, the majority of, of um, black South Africans uh, who live uh, either in, in, in rural areas, uh, sort of in, in tribal lands, or um, you know, on, in, in urban areas, um, don't have title deeds to their properties. Um, so in that regard, Siander's on the money. Um, I think it, it's, you know, when you get into the more like the, the historical claims to land and restitution, that I think that's a completely different uh, sort of story to, to discuss. But I think one of the major issues is that um, a lot of black South Africans don't have property rights. Um, and I think a great way to ensure that they do would be through title deeds, you know, giving mm. people title mm. to their land. They can use it um, to, 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 as leverage and they can use it um, to, as an asset to, to, grow their, uh, to grow their wealth even further. So, um, yeah, mm. I, I think if, if Sianda wants uh, title deeds, I'm, I'm, I'm with him. <laughs> yeah. um, the follow-up question, who does the land belong to? Well, question. Oh yeah, yeah. So Talk about it carefully. <laughs> so I've, the state mostly. Um, obviously, yeah. uh, private land ownership is is a is a complicated issue in South Africa, but uh, mostly the state, um, and then to a large degree to tribal leaders uh, as well, mm. and then private individuals. Um, yeah. And I think it's you know there's you know there is maybe an argument to be made for for uh, reforming. 
uh, you know, our, our friend, a good friend and, and someone you've worked with closely, Big Daddy Liberty, you know, he speaks about, you know, potential uh, movements in, in KZN um, mm -hmm. under the Ingonyama Trust to maybe uh, look at how the ownership of land happens uh, under, in that system. Um, but, you know, in, in that regard, there's also a lot of, uh, also in the country, there's a lot of state-owned land. A lot of people live um, on land owned by the government that the government mm -hmm. uh, is, or I would has it scared uh, to to, uh, desert, to to sell or give to the people that live on it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And maybe Sholen, um, my question to you would be, what's the main reason why most black people um, don't have property rights? What went wrong? Yeah, so I definitely think we cannot ignore the fact that, you know, um, that during apartheid, during colonialism, it definitely disenfranchised a lot of black people from their land. I mean, mm. during apartheid, black people were literally, and colored people and people of color were literally told, um, you need to get off from this land and you need to go to that side um, of the mm. mountain. And that yeah. was a reality. It's, it's undoubtedly the fact. Um, but my question is, and another thing I would also have to add is that it's very difficult in South Africa to really, you know, configure exactly who owns what amount of land and how many black people yeah. own this amount and white people own this amount. Um, that's yeah. a very hard task to do. Um, I don't even think the part of government would have been able to do that. And I mean, they were the biggest segregationists um, yeah. out in the streets. You know what I mean? And something that I also... Um, um, caution Sianda against is especially the proponents of pe people who, who make statements like these, um, especially like the EFF type or those radical folks um, in the ANC are like, you know what, black people need their land back, um, you know, we need land reform, we need expropriation without compensation. The truth uh -huh. is, there's two things that is um, concerning with statements like these. Uh, it's firstly, um, we see through research done by, th by the institutions like the IRR, um, we have done things like, you know, is land reform really such a big issue uh, for South mm. Africans? And what we found is that it's actually not. The real issues that people concern themselves about is with regards to do they have um, employment opportunities, is job creation yeah. there, um, do they have safety and security, and you know, and can the kids have um, a proper education? Those are actually issues that people um, have and that people actually mm -hmm. struggle with. Um, and yeah. one of the things I definitely, I'm a supporter, I'm like, give people as many title deeds um, into their hands take those type of deeds away from the state as much as mm. possible. And mm. we see work done by the Free Market um, Foundation. They do this excellently where they do, um, where they give title deeds back into the hands of so many um, previously disadvantaged um, communities. And that's work that mm. should be continued. Absolutely, I agree with that. But we should also be careful that when, who does the land go to in terms of what Shiana is speaking about? Because if you yeah. are um, proposing that land should be given back into the state, back to, um, you know, that the government should be the distributor of land. We have seen in places like Zimbabwe that when, yeah. when property is given into the hands of the state, it's reluctantly given back to yeah. the ordinary poor, um, you know, struggling um, black and colored and Indian people were disenfranchised, disenfranchised. But instead, in the case where we saw um, in Zimbabwe is Ruben Mugabe, when he got those controls for land reform, 
he instead yeah. gave it out to his um, friends and his loyalists yeah. who were keeping him in power. So if mm-hmm. I was Robin Mugabe, what Robin Mugabe would instead do is he was given a lot of land and I would give it yeah. to Bali and I'd give Tiego a few. And, but I wouldn't give it to Alex because, you know, Alex is this white privileged oh. Westerner. But I would <laughs> give it to the people that actually support me. And that is such a degradation of... Um, mm. And it would actually make circumstances worse for yeah. black people in general, um, yeah. I think. And it's also very wrong to assume that, you know what, that there aren't black farmers in South Africa. That's a very yeah. wrong um, mentality to have because we know that there are black farmers, there are colored farmers, all farmers mm-hmm. in South Africa is not just white. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> exactly. Um, especially in the, in areas like Natal or the Eastern Cape and Limpopo. That's where you see yeah. a lot of um, black landowners who do exist. Um, mm-hmm. And not everybody um, is white Afrikaners who own land in this country. Yeah, definitely. Alex, do you own land? Let's just clear that up. Give me yeah. some land if you own land. <laughs> Come on. I wish. I wish. <laughs> I was so lucky. <laughs> wow, guys, thank you so much uh, for tuning in to this episode of Burning Questions. Uh, remember to catch us on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And do remember, your freedom is worth fighting for. Yes. Sir.